And now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, it'll be today from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. We'll see that faith is confidence in God that leads to obedience to God. True faith is based on what God says and is demonstrated in what we do. People with faith do things for God, and God does things for them. Faith is not a luxury. It is a necessity. It's for common people and not just great leaders. You see, we need faith for worshiping, as well as for working, and even walking, and waiting, and warring. In any area of life where you ignore faith, you'll end up sinning. You know, the great theologian John Calvin defined faith as a steady and certain knowledge of the divine benevolence toward us which, being founded on the truth of the gratuitous promise in Christ, is both revealed to our minds and confirmed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Note that faith is founded on divine truth, that's God's promise, and is witnessed to by the Spirit in the heart. It has both objective and subjective aspects, and both are essential. The phrase, still others, reminds us that we can live by faith and appear to be defeated, See, not everybody who trusted God was delivered or protected. But the important thing is not God's deliverance. It is God's approval. Faith in God gives you the ability to endure when others are giving up. It was D.L. Moody who said, Faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. And now with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. November 13th, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, though God had promised him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau. He had confidence in what God was going to do in the future. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, confidently spoke of God's bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was so sure of it that he commanded them to carry his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid of what the king might do. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. 
It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts, so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians followed, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute did not die with all the others in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let me address Luke 15. For those of you that are not familiar with Scripture or church, Luke 15 is one of those famous passages that preachers like me talk about all the time. It's, it's where Jesus is asked, why do you hang out with bad people? And he gives three stories, lost sheep, lost coin. And the last is about a lost son. Most people call it the prodigal son. It's about two sons, actually. But the younger one says, Dad, I want my inheritance early. He moves to some wild cities and lives crazy and wastes all of the money. Finally, he's got a job on this farm. And it's horrible. It's pathetic. And he comes back to himself, his senses, and he goes, I'm going to go back to Dad's house, and I'm going to try to get employment. I can't be his son. I just want employment. That's where he's at. And he prepares a pathetic little speech. And he makes his way to dad's house. And it says, when he arose and came to his father, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and he started kissing him. The son said, father, and he starts into his speech, I've sinned, heaven, your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the next verse, the father ignores this. Jesus is telling this story to try to explain who he is. And really, God the father's love. And the father says, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Listen now, listen to what the father says. Bring out the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. Translation, we're going to have a party and we're going to have one right now. It gets worse. For this son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. And it says, and they began. How long did that take? And they began to party. Was that 15 minutes? Was it 30? Was it an hour? It gets worse. Verse 25, there's another boy, the older son. He's in the field. He comes, and as he's drawing near to dad's house, he can literally hear music, and he can hear the laughter and glee and joy of people dancing on a dance floor. Now, I want you to try to wrap your brain around this illogical, ridiculous, scandalous scene that God through Jesus has given us to explain who he is and how he responds to you and to me. The boy comes home. He's wasted his hard-earned money of his father. He has lived wildly and ridiculously. How long has he been home? 30 minutes? An hour? I'll, I'll, I'll let you have three hours. He's been home three hours so he could shower and shave and put on his new gear and his new clothes and his new jewelry. And in less than three hours, this wayward AWOL son is now on a dance floor with his cronies. What? The only one that's thinking logically is the older son. Who's like, this doesn't make any sense. The scene could have been his younger brother, who's an idiot, 
surrounded by his friends as the DJ is playing his favorite song and he's on the dance floor. What? How quickly does the father insist that the son get changed and get on the dance floor? I want you to try to wrap your head around that. That when you sin, the most powerful place you can be is enjoying his love. Right after you sin. Most of us, if we were throwing the party, say, let him on the dance floor. Son, you sit over, don't you even think about dancing. You think about the stupid thing you did with my money. We will dance and you will watch. <laughs> but not the father. I want you to think about that. He insisted his boy dance. Okay, hey guys, uh, this is Jake Collier here at uh, Fourth Phase Braille House. I'm here with uh, James Whiting, who completes uh, this Thursday. Uh, so, uh, James, uh, throughout your time here in the ministry, uh, what was some of your most memorable moments? Some of my most memorable moments came actually throughout the ministry. One of my first ones was in Second Phase, um, Christmas time. It was when we had a worship service in Upper Admin on Christmas Eve. It was memorable because. Somebody, when somebody prayed to end, they prayed that God would make it snow. And halfway through, it started snowing. So that was a really memorable moment. Another memorable moment was when I went down to serve from the farm. And it was like on the outside looking in. Because I was just down the farm. Now I'm down there serving. So it was very memorable. It was a very big growing experience. Okay. Um, you know, here at the, at the refuge, you know, we talk about transformation and um you know romans 12 comes to mind as far as your biggest transformation of character and things like that what do you feel like is going to be your biggest takeaway through these past 13 months and what has changed you from the inside out that's a good question my biggest takeaway really is my commitment to god um before i came here i knew god i knew about god but i didn't really know him i didn't have a relationship with jesus christ i feel like that God brought me here to teach me to trust in him and him only. And that's my biggest takeaway. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as far as, uh, you know, going, going, uh, segueing in from that, um, as far as trusting in God and, and what do you feel as far as launching out into the real world, out of the refuge and things like that? How are you going to apply the seven principles, the things you learned first, second, third, and fourth phase and things like that? How are you going to make those applicable to your life uh, as far as life after the refuge? Well, I'm going to continue to be in community, definitely, because you got you have to have people around you. And I'm going to continue to go to Veritas. I'm going to be a 614. I'm going to join a community group, and I'm going to build from there. I'm, I'm going to be open and honest with this community. I'm going to continue everything I've learned throughout the ministry with this community. Okay. Uh, and then for uh, everybody out there on the farm and phase two and things like that, what's some advice you have looking back over 13 months and um, some of the guys that are maybe just coming in, they're thinking, well, this seems long or some of the guys that are halfway through and they're showing perseverance, but they have some doubts and things. What kind of encouragement can you give to those guys? The biggest encouragement I can give to you is bear each other's burdens. Um, if you're having a bad day or have an issue, go to your brothers, pour it onto them. Don't hold it in because if you hold it in, it can take you out. 
Like, that's the biggest thing for me. I held things in for a very long time. When I started finally letting it out, it became clearer of what we need to do. Jesus don't want us to hold it in. He wants us to let it out. So let it out and bear each other's burdens. Okay. And then uh, before we go, man, as far as some scripture for us, what's some uh, some scripture throughout this past 13 months you've held dear to your heart and um, that really got you through on those tough days? It's what popped out and came to mind. For me, it would be the same verse that's always been following me my entire life. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Don't worry about anything, literally. Just focus on God and his purpose and all things will be given to you. It's not what you want. It's what you need. And what you need right now is to be in the refuge and to grow. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, James, it's been a pleasure walking this out with you the past uh, couple months, man, and things like that. Uh, excited to see what God has in store for you. Love you, brother. Thank you, guys. Love you. Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10. Well, Psalm 111 is for people who study. It explains how to be a student who pleases the Lord and grows in understanding of truth. Start with worship. The lower you bow before the Lord, the more He will instruct you. Go right to the source. See God in His works. Whether it's science or history, you are examining God's works in this world. His works are great and glorious, revealing His power and wisdom. To see the creation but ignore the Creator is to move into idolatry and sin. See God in His Word. The Word of God and the Book of Nature do not contradict each other. For the same author, capital A, wrote them both. The theories of scholars come and go, but God's Word stands forever. And obey what God teaches you. The search into truth is not simply an academic endeavor of the mind. It must involve your whole person. If you are willing to do God's truth, He will teach you. Obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. And don't forget that all truth is God's truth, no matter what the source. God is sovereign. If you love truth, learn truth, and live it, live truth, and the truth will set you free. Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with His godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord! All who delight in Him should ponder them. Everything He does reveals His glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. Who can forget the wonders He performs? How gracious and merciful is our Lord! He gives food to those who trust Him. He always remembers His covenant. He has shown His great power to His people by giving them the lands of other nations. All He does is just and good, and all His commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for His people. He has guaranteed His covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name He has! Reverence for the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. The rewards of wisdom come to all who obey Him. Praise His name forever. Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16. A nagging wife is as annoying as the constant dripping on a rainy day. Trying to stop her complaints 
is like trying to stop the wind or hold something with greased hands.